0: Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. It's, uh, it's always awesome to be at Greenhouse. Thank you so much. I will, I'm planning on, although, truth be told, and apparently Benj let you know this last week, he kind of threw me under the bus a little bit, because the passage that we're going to be considering today is a tricky one. In fact, in the the preaching roster that I was given for Greenhouse, it said, uh, you know, Craig's doing this one, and it's a doozy. Um, So, without further ado, if you would like to turn with me in your Bible or power-up devices, and we're going to have a look at that doozy passage, and it's in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and uh, I'm going to be reading to you from verses 49 through to 59, I think it is, yeah, through to 59. Okay, uh, so Luke chapter 12, commencing verse 49, it says, this is Jesus speaking, he says, "'I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am now under until it's completed.' Do you think I came to bring peace to the earth? I would have said yes, but no. No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's a whole lot of conflict. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. All clear? Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, I don't know about you, um, but as, as I've gotten older, I've discovered more and more that families are just weird. Families are weird. And what I've found is that there are more and more skeletons in my family closet than I came to realize as a young guy. And as I got older, I found there are more and more of these family skeletons. Now, I'm aware of young ears in the room, so I'll be careful how I frame this. Um, but some years ago, there was a series on TV called Underbelly Razor. I'm not, anybody seen un, any of the Underbelly series at all? Some, some, some of you would be aware of that, I'm sure. Um, one of my relatives, Arnie Nelly, Arnie Nelly was actually portrayed in Underbelly Razor. She was a, again, little ears in the room, She was a woman of the night, shall we say, uh, one of the most powerful women in the night down in King's Cross uh, during the 1920 Razor Gang era. And uh, Auntie Nellie's nickname back then was the Kiss of Death Girl, uh, and she was intimately involved with a number of the key gangland figures in the 1920s. That's my auntie. Um, on my mother's side, that's on my dad's side. On my mother's side, uh, again, there, it's an again, it's an Auntie Nell. Uh, I don't know what it was with that name back then, but my grandfather my grandfather, we always thought that my grandfather was raised by his parents and his older sister. Turns out, though, that his older sister was actually his mother. And uh, the, the deal was that, uh, again, Arnie Nell, as we always called her, that Arnie Nell um, had, uh, during her mid-teenage years, fallen pregnant. And as was a custom back in the day, Arnie Nell was sent out to the country uh, because there was so much shame in, involved uh, for the family. And she was sent out to the country. And then when she came back, um, my grandfather, her child, was then deemed to be her younger brother to everyone. And it was never spoken of again until about 50 years later. When one of my aunties did the math and said, There's no way that our dad can be her younger brother, it's got to be her son. And she raised this with my grandfather's wife, my grandmother, and and she was quickly held down. She said, you will never speak of this again in our family. There's so much shame attached to this. 50 years after the event, and it wasn't even his fault. He's just the product of the relationship. Skeletons in closet. But it's not even distant relatives or, or people far back. When I was a little boy, you know, seven, eight years of age, every Saturday my dad and I would go to Nan's place. We'd go to Nan's place and uh, sadly my grandfather, my grandfather on that side had passed away and so dad and I would go around to Nan's place and we'd do the odd chore, the odd job, you know, and we'd, we'd replace light globes or, or we'd fix washers in taps and those sorts of things. And at the end of the time, this is the bit that I love, at the end of the time, my, grand, my nan would bring out her purse, she'd unclip her purse, and she'd give me a dollar for coming. Now, when you're eight years of age in the 1970s, a dollar is bank. It is awesome. You could buy so much stuff with a dollar back in the 1970s when you're an eight-year-old. And I thought, this is the best thing ever. But when I was a kid, I didn't put two and two together that whenever we went to Nan's place, Mum never joined us. And it wasn't until I was older that I discovered the reason why. That's because she wasn't welcome. She wasn't welcome. Um, When my dad was in his mid-20s, he came to faith in Jesus. He became a Christian. Uh, I think it was the 1959 Billy Graham crusade. Dad came to know Jesus. It's awesome. But my Nan was a staunch atheist. In fact, she hated Christianity. She was hoping against all hope that, that this, this religious thing that her son was going through, that it'd just be a, a passing fad. But dad's relationship with Jesus grew and grew and developed and developed. He connected him with a local church. That's where he went, met my mum. My mum and dad started dating and eventually got engaged, and then, as a wedding present, she declared to my dad that, uh, that then, sorry, as a wedding present, my my nan declared to my dad that she was going to break up their marriage. Fancy that as a wedding present? We're going to I'm going to break up your marriage if it's the last thing I do. Apparently, she came close. I only found out about this years later, when I was about two. My nan said to my dad, Jeff, it's either Bev or it's me. You make a choice. And fortunately, my dad chose my mum. Fortunately, dad chose my mum. So when I come to this passage here in, in Luke's Gospel... Even though, as, as Ben's rightly said, it's kind of a bit of a doozy passage. And it's not kind of happy Sunday mornings, rainbows and unicorns sort of message today. I appreciate the reality check that Jesus gives us here. Jesus is declaring up front some of the costs that can be involved in being a follower Of Jesus Christ. That sometimes it may mean that we are misunderstood. Sometimes it may mean we are rejected even by the people who are closest to us. Even by family. In fact, this morning, I want to name two uncomfortable truths that bubble to the surface in these verses. One is an uncomfortable truth for Jesus. We're only going to address that fairly briefly. And the other is an uncomfortable truth for us. So I want to give you a heads up right now that there may be some feelings of discomfort this morning. The first uncomfortable truth, as it says on the screen there, is that high invitation requires high price. And it specifically talks about this in verses 49 and 50. You know, when Jesus says, I've come to bring fire. And there's all sorts of debates about what it means that Jesus has come to bring fire some people think it's referring to the holy spirit others to holiness and faith others to judgment and i actually think it's possibly all three you see it's it's the context of verse 49 uh, it's the context rather of verse 50 that helps us to understand verse 49 in verse 50 jesus is talking about his death on the cross and and here and in other passages Jesus uses the image of baptism to describe what he's about to go through on the cross. What Jesus is saying here is that he's about to go to the cross, and it's that place where the penalty for all of our sin and rebellion against God is going to be finally dealt with once And for all. And we love to speak about this amazing invitation that Jesus gives us, this invitation of of forgiveness and of eternal life and of the gift of the Holy Spirit. But, friends, the price for that invitation was incredibly high. The price for your salvation and mine is the death of Jesus on the cross. We love to sing about the saving work of Jesus. But i got to tell you, I've been a follower of Jesus now for many years and I still get a lump in my throat when I think about the price that Jesus paid so that you and I could have access to this incredible gift, this wondrous gift, this gracious gift of forgiveness and of life. And the gift of his permanent presence through the Holy Spirit. That's the first uncomfortable truth, that high invitation requires price. But there's a second uncomfortable truth, and this is the one that probably relates more to us, and that's high invitation invites high challenge. When you look at the passage there, why is it that straight after about talking talking about his death, does Jesus move into this description of families that are divided, of needing to interpret the times, and of counting the cost? Why is that? Well, it seems that it's because being a follower of Jesus doesn't leave you unchanged. This high invitation that we respond to in the gospel also invites us to a space of of high challenge as well, where we invite Jesus to be not just the saviour, but Lord as well, the leader of our lives. You see, being a follower of Jesus doesn't simply mean waiting to get to heaven when you die and just kind of flying a holding pattern. Being a follower of Jesus is transformative in the here and now. So this is where this truth might get uncomfortable for us because Jesus, in verse 56, invites us to start interpreting times. So let's go there. Let's understand the times that we are living in at the moment. For the past 70 years in Australia, the church has been in a state of constant, slow decline. I remember reading the numbers some years ago where it said that within my lifetime, the population of Australia has doubled... And yet the number of people who profess to be Christians is actually halved. So it's not like we haven't kept up with the, the population growth. We've actually halved during the time that the Australian population has doubled. And over the past 20 to 30 years, Christians have been freaking out. As the church has tried to gripple, grapple rather, with what it means to live life on the fringe. That the church is no longer in the central place of the marketplace of ideas. Rather, we're out here. We don't have the microphone that much anymore in our society. People don't naturally look to the church to be be setting the trend. And so what's happened is people have typically gravitated to one of two extremes as to what do I do now as a follower of Jesus in this kind of post-Christianity society that we're living in? And the, the first option that people go to is the option of what I call the chameleon. Being a chameleon. You ever seen a chameleon before? I think I've got a photo of a chameleon. If we can bring that up. Thanks, fellas. There's a chameleon. Okay, They're an incredible creature. Chameleons have this capacity to change their color, to blend into whatever environment they're in. Now, this fellow, I don't know what environment he was in. I mean, it's a psychedelic party somewhere. Um, but uh, <laughs> but they, they, a chameleon has this, this capacity to adapt their color to whatever the environment the chameleon's all about looking the same. And if, you, if people, if Christians, followers of Jesus adopt the chameleon option in this post-Christian Australia that we're living in, what that means is we essentially adopt the values, adopt the practices, and adopt the language of the surrounding culture that we live in. And that always trumps what Jesus says. The prevailing culture trumps what Jesus says. And what the Bible says about a flourishing life, uh, about ethics, about putting others first, about morality, about spiritual disciplines, about the environment, about finance, about family is secondary to the prevailing culture. People have no idea that you follow the way of Jesus because there's no discernible difference. And I get this, because it begins to alleviate the discomfort we feel. The, the chameleon does this as a defense mechanism. And I think sometimes we do as well. I, I, I've been doing a whole lot of research for a doctorate that I'm doing at the moment. And uh, one of the things that I've discovered, just from, just from the statistics, is that there's actually, in many cases, very little discernible difference between the attitudes and the behaviours, between your average follower of Jesus and the person who isn't, statistically. What that seems to be saying is that one of the default positions that we have is to go down the path of the chameleon, where the surrounding culture trumps Jesus. But there's another extreme as well. And this second extreme is what I want to call the tortoise. The tortoise. Um, you, ever, you ever seen the kind of a tortoise, they, can, they have this capacity to withdraw into their shell. And again, it's a defence mechanism. They're able to, to pull back into their shell. And being a bit like a tortoise is being uh, about separating and withdrawing from society. We surround ourselves with other people who believe what we believe because that's safe. And all our friends are Christians. Our baristas are Christian. We work for a Christian organization. We shop in stores owned by Christians. And when our dog gets sick, we take it to the vet and the vet is a Christian. Yeah. Our whole world is surrounded by all these Christians because we withdraw away because it's nice and safe there. but there's no engagement with the community that are in so desperate need of Christ when we do that. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands this morning, but I wonder which option you are most tempted toward. I've got to say, I get tempted toward both. Both. It's easier sometimes just to fit in or to hang out with all my Christian friends and never connect with the community. feels more comfortable that way. But what if, what if God invites us to a better way of living than just being a chameleon or being a tortoise? What if there's a a more beautiful, a more redemptive, a more God-honouring option that would not only help you, but would be a blessing to those Around you, what if we could be like dolphins? Dolphins are awesome. I love dolphins. Um, now I don't say that just because they're probably the coolest creature in the sea, but but what if we could actually be like dolphins? Do you remember what kind of creature are dolphins? They are they're mammals. Dolphins are mammals. They're not fish. Dolphins are mammals. They're different. Most of the rest of the creatures in the sea. Uh, they are different from, because dolphins, dolphins are warm-blooded, for starters. Dolphin females, they give birth to live young and they feed their young with milk. Dolphins have lungs to breathe air. Dolphins are way different to the vast majority of other creatures in the big blue ocean. They're not chameleons, they don't just blend in their background. Dolphins stand out But also, it's not like dolphins, because they've got lungs and they breathe air, it's not like dolphins go, hey, we're out of here in the sea, we're going to go up on land now, thanks very much. No, no, no. They stay in their environment, don't they? They're distinct from it, and yet they're still deeply immersed, literally, in their environment. The tortoise tries to withdraw, the chameleon tries to fit in, but the dolphin's different. You probably understand that I'm kind of playing a little bit with these different images of chameleons and tortoise and dolphin. But that's because I want you to sit, as I have probably in the past fortnight, sitting in the uncomfortability of this passage. As Ben said, this is a doozy. This passage... Pushes us a bit. This passage challenges us a bit in that space where we can feel uncomfortable. Are you interpreting the times that we are in at the moment? For this following of Jesus thing, it's not, as I said before, going to be all about rainbows and unicorns. High invitation results in high challenge. So I'm asking you straight up. When you look at the challenge of being a follower of Jesus in our current context, who do you most relate to? The chameleon, the tortoise, or the dolphin? I want to encourage you, yes, be engaged in your world, in your community. Don't just withdraw to hang out with other Christians. Your community, your workplace is filled with people who don't know Christ. They're filled with people whom Jesus died for, and he's placed you as his redemptive agent in that context. So don't withdraw from them. Don't withdraw from them. But also, yes, immerse yourself in the ways and the words and the works of Jesus in spiritual practices that are going to nourish your soul, practices that will make you more and more like Jesus and less and less like the prevailing culture. Because at that point, you actually have a redemptive message to share with people with both your lips and your lives as well. You can stand out, not in a weird, wacko Christian way, but as someone who actually reflects Jesus, reflects that there is another way. They're doing life. Now, they're not here this morning, so I, I can say this about them without embarrassing them, but, but you have the blessing of a church, of, about being a church where, where it's all about creating environments where anyone can follow the ways of Jesus. And you've got people in Benjamin Mel who model this for you. They model this for you. It's an incredible blessing that you have. I've known Benjamin Mel for years and years now. When I first came to Narara, Benj was a punk 13-year-old kid. We were both a lot younger then, a lot younger. Uh, and I, I've, I've watched what God has done in his life. And I, I remember watching when Mel came to faith in Jesus and the way in which her faith grew and blossomed. And both of them model this sort of stuff to you. Both of them invite you into and lead you in a manner of engaging in the ways and the works of Jesus so that you will become more like him. So my encouragement to you today is don't just honour them. Yes, honour them, but don't just do that. Look to what they're leading and follow in that space that you, we may become more and more like Jesus, more and more transformational um, vehicles of the kingdom in whatever place and space God has invited you into. It's an incredible privilege to be part of this church, honestly. I keep cheering on Greenhouse. I love this space. So I want to encourage you, follow your leaders in this area. In fact, what I'd like to do is just very briefly lead you in a time of quiet prayer where you can, you can bring these matters before Jesus yourself this morning. So I want you to just close your eyes with me right now. I'm gonna pray. And I'm gonna invite you to ask a few questions. And the first of those questions is Jesus, what am I what do I most represent? The chameleon, the tortoise, or the dolphin? And, And if you need to this morning, maybe there's space to confess that and repent. Or maybe there's space just to celebrate what Jesus is already doing in your life, and that's fine too. You will find a gracious Father who loves you. And the next question I want you to ask Jesus this morning is what's my next step? Maybe you've been gravitating toward the chameleon and it's actually time to say, no, 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 I want to be more like Jesus and not allow the prevailing culture to dictate who I am. Or maybe you're like the tortoise and you just surrounded yourself by other Christians and don't have any connection, it seems, with with those who don't know Christ. Maybe there's a next step for you to, to engage in an intentional manner with those who don't know Jesus. Lord God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you are doing here amongst these people. Lord, I pray that they would increasingly reflect Jesus, the one who lived a sinless life, the one who loved them so much that he died on a cross and rose again for them so that there could be this high invitation to life, to forgiveness, to to the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you continue to be at work in this redemptive community. Might they be a light on a hill to this community. I pray that in Jesus' name.